Welcome to the Mike Dillard Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you get the knowledge and skills that you need to bring your dreams to life. Well, gang, this is it. This is the big one. This is the story that I've been waiting to tell y'all for over a year. Now, if you've been a part of my audience for any time at all, you've probably been aware that I suffered a mysterious brain injury in June of 2018 that almost killed me. And I haven't really shared anything more than that over the past 12 months for two primary reasons. First and foremost, we had no idea what happened. And I didn't want to talk about this until we did because, well, frankly, that's just not very helpful to anyone. And second, I wanted to wait until there was some kind of happy ending to the situation so that I could bring it around full circle and share what I learned from it. Well, thankfully, I'm happy to say that we did figure out what took place about three months ago, and I've been getting better ever since. Now, while I'm still not sleeping normally just yet, my brain is back online, I can think, I can speak, and my energy levels have started to return, which has been amazing. And I'll just say this, the culprit was shocking. This whole mess was caused by a household toxin that is in your home right now. It's something that you're breathing in every single day, and whether or not it affects you is simply a matter of your level of exposure. So if you have any friends or family members who have been suffering from a chronic or undiagnosed illness, they could definitely be suffering from the same thing. So please share this with them so that they can go get tested ASAP. Now, during the past year, I've always said that when I'm ready to share all of this, I wanted to do it around a table with the people who really helped me through it the most, which is exactly what we did. So today, I'm joined by my friend Aubrey Marcus, who hosted this interview, along with Christina Wise and my physician, Dr. Ann Shippey. We held this group discussion at Aubrey's office, and you can watch the entire video interview over at mikedillard.com forward slash heal. Again, that's mikedillard.com forward slash heal. Now, while the situation has been the single biggest challenge of my life, it has also been the most rewarding because of the personal work and transformation that it forced me to do, including all kinds of psychedelic medicines that we're going to be talking about here later today. I have to say this is one hell of a story, and this is definitely the most personal interview that I've ever given. So thank you for your support during this past year, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I'm back to work so that I can help you guys and serve you in the best way that I possibly can. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey guys, Mike here, and uh, I am unbelievably grateful to have the three people around this table that I have. This is something I've been looking forward to doing for about a year now. As you guys know, I went through a mysterious brain injury last June, so it's been about 15 months, and was sitting on my couch one day, taking a break from work, playing a little PUBG on the iPad, felt a little click in my brain. I was like, huh, it's kind of kind of a strange sensation. And that was the last time that I could physically fall asleep. So the next six days, six nights, didn't get a single minute of sleep. I could feel my body starting to shut down. And that was obviously a very, very scary, concerning condition to be in. Sleep medications weren't working. Alcohol wasn't working. Called my primary doc at the time who put me on 10 milligrams of Ambien and Xanax, which I've never been on either of those before. And that didn't work. I would get maybe 60 minutes of a disassociated sleep and then be right back up again for the rest of the night, tossing and turning. And then that turned into a whole different mess and a different story uh, of suicidal stuff and 
things that side side effects that come along with those drugs that I had never experienced. And man, yeah, it's been a, it's been a year trying to figure this out. And we finally figured it out about two months ago and really started to go on a, a healing journey. And it's been a hell of a year as you're aware of. So Aubrey, you were a very big part of this journey. We're here with Dr. Ann Shippey as well. And then my good friend, Christina Wise, who was kind of my, my guardian angel during this entire process. So the goal for holding the session today is to really give some hope to people who are going through a really difficult challenge from a health perspective. Uh, maybe you have a loved one, a relative that's going through one. If you're going through one yourself and you feel completely lost and alone and confused and scared, I wanted to put this together for you guys to give you some hope, share my experience with you and what I learned from that and how I was able to come full circle and, and eventually get myself out of it. So one thing, really the goal one, today, if yeah. I can jump in, Mike, yeah. you know, I just want to, a lot of people who aren't going through something challenging like that, it may seem like, oh, that'll never happen to me, right? Like, oh, that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm cheeseburger, you know, Michelob like guy. I'm good. Everything's fine. But like, if you're not listening to the whispers that are coming to you that might say like, hey, you know, maybe work on this thing. Eventually, there's going to be something loud enough, that thunderclap that's going to be loud enough, like that click that went in your brain yeah. where you're really going to have to pay attention. And those are not fun times, yeah. you know, and like that's where the opportunity is to listen earlier, be preventative. You know, some of this work that you're going to talk about is work that with a little bit of diligence and foresight which i get it it's hard to have that much sometimes you do need something to get a little out of whack but like there was aspects that you could have been working on you know contributing factors maybe not primary causes but tertiary secondary tertiary causes that you could have been like huh this is a little whisper from my body. I think I'm a little too stressed. I think I'm a little too this. And we're all in those positions. Yeah. And the more we pay attention to those now, the more we don't have those brain click moments where you're sitting on your couch and you don't know whether it's worthy of living anymore because everything is so painful and you can't sleep. And you're like, maybe I should just hit the reset button. Those moments, let's try to avoid those ones. Yeah, you know, looking back in hindsight, it wasn't, it wasn't that moment. There was three to four months leading up to that moment where my sleep started to get worse and worse. I would start to take sleep supplements. I would start to wake up at three o'clock every morning on the dot. 3 a.m. was like just an alarm clock. My body would wake up and I'm like, shit. And then eventually I might I might fall asleep again. That was just a flex on Jocko Willink who was waking up at four. Though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, so that... <laughs> and I hear this story over and over and again with my patients. There's usually some warning side. You know, you might have a little bit of reflux with your digestion or a little bit of a headache or you're just feeling more tired maybe losing a little bit of hair there's almost always some period of time it might be a month or two or it might be years where there's this gradual decline or it can be a sudden snap so yeah i really everybody listening i really recommend that you start shoring yourself up now because we really are in an epidemic with many disorders that are are advancing quickly and and we need to be taking action now yeah, yeah, it was I could I could tell my body's ability to handle stress was declining very rapidly. Like I would I would take a break and I would play a video game and that was mistake number 1 was leaving a stressful situation from a work perspective and taking a break and playing a game that just spikes your adrenaline 10 times over what the work did. By intention, by the way, for yes. any video game players, like yeah. they have people in a lab being like 
how do we hijack cortisol and adrenaline so people play this forever? So for those of you who are familiar with PUBG, it's, you know, you against 100 other live players on an island to fight to the death for 30 minutes. The smartest, most, you know, strategic person wins. And I love that competition. I love the strategy component of that. I love the adrenaline of that. And then uh, I would turn off at night by going and having dinner and a couple glasses of wine or a couple cocktails, and I would turn my body off and then go to sleep. And then I would wake up and turn it on with a couple glasses of coffee and I haven't and heard you tell the story and, quite this way before, fighting to the death. Like your body yeah, so you're sitting is getting in that message down yeah. to the genetic yeah. level yeah. that you are truly in survival for your life. Yeah, fight or flight. And it, it, but it's yeah. more than fight or flight. Yeah. That is the extreme fight or flight. Like... When that's going on, there's it's running from the tiger to the nth degree. There's no resources or very little resources going towards repair. And your body's not actually running to burn those chemicals off. I'm sitting on a couch, yes. right? So you're just stewing in it. So looking back in hindsight, my body was talking to me. It was giving me warning signs. And as a stubborn ass entrepreneur, the solution's more caffeine and more alcohol at night to turn it off and just keep plowing through and doing what you got to do. And uh, until that moment where the, the the cup spilled over and that was it. Well, we think so often because we've done it before that our body's going to rise to the occasion Yeah, because we can really push ourselves hard at times and, until we can't. Right. Yeah. So I called it, uh, you know, God's two by four moment where it's like, hey, you're not listening you know, wham, we're going to take you out. And that was it. And it was a, a little click that changed everything. You go 24 hours without sleep, you kind of feel like a superhero and you accomplish something. 48 hours, you start to get a little concerned and frightened. 72 hours, you're like, what the fuck is going on? This is really bad. Uh, and then after that, it's just fear. And so what, what happened is my brain essentially got stuck in fight or flight mode. Uh, the limbic brain turned on full 100%. And my body, I could literally feel buzzing with cortisol 24-7. Like I could feel my fingertips vibrating uh, with cortisol. And everything became fear-based. So I would walk down the street in downtown Austin and, and just have this flash of adrenaline take my body because I think the high rise that I'm walking past is about to crash on top of me. Mm. I'll be driving down Mopac in the car and I race cars as a hobby and a car will just pass me in the left lane and it'll startle me and I'll get that adrenaline flash. I'll just be sitting on the couch watching a movie. Well, you're a race car driver. Someone passes you. You know, I get that one. You know, at least at least that <laughs> well, one that makes sense. Cause me, that shouldn't cause me an adrenaline. Well, deal, they right? shouldn't yeah. be passing you. You no, know what no. I'm saying? That's <laughs> Just kidding, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Drive safe. Everybody drive safe. All uh, jokes. All jokes. Here. We're always racing all the time. <laughs> but uh, um, so that so six days in, I could feel my body shutting down and and it got really scary. The, the pharmaceuticals kept me alive, but it, nothing, was, nothing was changing, nothing was being fixed. And the really scary part of this is you eventually start to get online and on YouTube and on Google, and you start to search for symptoms and search for, okay, what's wrong? So I started with the insomnia track. Couldn't find a single piece of information, article, or video of anyone who could describe the same symptoms that I would have. They'd be like, yeah, it's really hard to fall asleep. And I go a day or two, not six days straight without a single minute, not with the cortisol. I'm like, okay, there's nothing there. That's really weird. And then I started just getting little, little clues to go try things. Hey, go try bioneurofeedback. So called up a local doctor here in Austin, did 12 sessions of bioneurofeedback, which was 
or neurobiofeedback, which was really interesting, fascinating tech. And after the first session, I get the test results back and the doctor's like, well, I got good news and bad news. Good news is, is that this modality, your body is and your brain is responding to it. So we should be able to see some results from this. The bad news is, is I've never seen anything like your test results in 25 years. Awesome. So I did 12 of those sessions. It helped a little bit. Didn't really change anything. A friend told me about transcranial magnetic, did 12 of those big old magnet stuck on your head and it's, you know, rebalancing your, your brain's electrical chemical status. Didn't get any results from that. Same thing. Got the EEG charts back. Doc's like, haven't seen anything like this. It's not working. Don't know what to tell you. Uh, okay. Awesome. And then that's when I think probably three months in got a, a very serendipitous text or email from you about the Paul Selig event you're having at your house. So dragged myself to that somehow, because at this point I'm maybe getting an hour and a half of sleep a night, not working anymore, wondering how I'm going to take care of my son, if I'm going to lose custody of him, how I'm going to make money, what I'm going to do with the employees that I have. And my plan at that point was I'm probably going to have to move in with my folks who live an hour and a half away, maybe see my son, you know, once a week. And then yeah, sit there on the couch during the day, move to the bed at night uh, until either I get better or I die um, was kind of where I was at. The big, uh, the big piece on the pharmaceuticals was too, all of a sudden I live on the, tw- I used to live on the 26th floor in a high rise in downtown Austin. And all of a sudden the balcony starts looking a little bit nicer every day. And I don't understand that because I've never felt suicidal about anything for any reason before. But I finally understood how other people can get to that point, like Anthony Bourdain, right? Anybody who's taking these drugs where it's like, holy shit, this is something that is making this make sense in my head. And I can see how people get stuck and headed down that path. And it makes sense to them. Got off the meds for about a week that cleared up and went away, got back on and within two days back in that spot. So yeah, made it to your house that night and remember barely functioning, run into you there very serendipitously. And I'm like, hi, my name's Mike. Your, your name's Christina. And I don't know how the topic came up, but I'm like, I'm, I'm having slept in a few months, really hurting. And you're like, holy crap. I went through the same thing five years ago. So if you'd maybe be willing to take a few minutes to share your experience at that time, we were the only two people who had ever gone through the same symptom set. And that was literally life-saving for me because it gave me the single most important part of this entire journey, which was hope. So for the first time I had someone who understood what I was going through, said I get it and I made it. And like, I got, I've got resources for you. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember looking at you and I could just see it in your eyes and you said something and I, you said, well, share your story with me a little bit. And I said, well, and even with what you said, Aubrey, is not even the Michelob. I thought I was in pinnacle health. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I was running my marathons, doing my triathlons and just living this life at the top of my game and my business and my industry. And I just thought I was invincible. <laughs> And but this adrenaline type lifestyle that and there were the the red flags in hindsight, but same thing. I was at this top of my moment in my career, 
was speaking and I there was a click that happened on the stage. It felt it in my brain. And I was mentioning that to you that that I heard this click and then I had adrenaline and it was fine. And then I get off stage and about an hour later, I just knew something was horribly wrong and my life changed at that moment. But I, I talked to you about the click and after all the doctors I talked to going through this experience, I mean, hundreds of people, no one had ever heard a click before and talking about it. It'd be an insomnia or just sleep issues. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I could not fall asleep. My body would wake me up. Every time I'd get close, wake me up, you get hit, close, wake you'd me up. You'd hit a wall. You'd get down to the point of going unconscious where you should fall asleep. And it would literally be like the path to sleep in your brain was cut. Mm -hmm. And you would get this bounce back adrenaline effect instantly. Your heart rate would increase. Your breathing would get faster and you're fucking up again. And there was no way to get around that. You couldn't nap. I mean, no. days without sleep. But it was yeah. that click. And so I mentioned the click and your eyes got really big. You're, oh, my God, I had a click. Yeah. And you said, did you hear it? And yeah. I said, I heard it. I heard it when it happened. Yeah. And that was the beginning of our conversation. I said, yes, I've been there and it's quite a journey. <laughs> so what what did your journey consist of? What did it look like? And wait, what is this click? Did you, does anybody know? Back here, lower left side of the brain. I just, it's as if someone just lightly tapped my brain. It's just like that. Or yeah. it's like I, felt I understand, that. I understand like quality. Yeah. qualitatively what it must have felt like but what the hell is happening yeah, what it I, we don't know but what i think it is is <clears throat> that there's a build-up to this moment where the threshold for the blood-brain barrier just instantaneously got leaky or got leaky so things that were should not be passing into the brain were going in into your brains and physically and, damaging Mm -hmm. yeah. So probably different levels of the stress hormones, different levels of chemicals, different levels of uh, autoimmune markers, so that your neurochemistry couldn't regulate properly. Yeah. So for you, almost a year and a half, two years of, you almost died. You were in the hospital for months. So what was that like? Well, mine was, it, so it was a physical sound and then I couldn't sleep physically. Yeah. But then, like you said, it's the accidental therapy or however you called it. Then everything, it's like the my defenses from my strong physical body broke down. So all this other stuff came up. So then it became this journey. And that's what you and I talked about of and going to doctor to doctor. But it was this, all this trauma just flooded me. And then I got stuck in this place of panic. Like it was constant panic. Like every, I was afraid of everything. I couldn't even go for a walk outside. And here's a successful person that all of a sudden couldn't even go outside without freaking out. And I like wore a heart rate monitor because I would be on the edge of a panic attack any second. And I'd never had a panic attack before. So we just had all these similarities and it was this entire journey of just going through the darkness of trying to sort through and same thing. I was on so much medication. I, I mean, I was on like Seroquel and, and Clonazepam and Ambien and more doctors and more medication and same thing like you is. So I Ambien thought, is a sleep med. Benzos. Yeah. And then. Clonazepam is. Is a benzo, is benzo. which is an anti-anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then what was the other one? And then I was on an antidepressant, which was. Um, like an SSR. I think an FX, FXOR was the. So the problem is that and none of these and medications the, address the root cause. No, it just and made me worse. Really it's bad band-aids for masking the symptoms. Yeah, mm -hmm. and well, it got rid of the same. The band-aids didn't even work. No, the band-aids probably didn't made work. you worse. They and did. Yeah. I, I yeah. same thing like Mike. I thought I it created empathy in the fact that I thought, how could anybody get to a place of suicide? I mean, come on, like pick your bootstraps up or whatever, right. and and get on with it. 
same thing. I'm like, this is no way to live. If this goes on much longer, I just want to jump over the balcony because you can't live this way. So what was really interesting is out of all the health things that could have happened, cancer or whatever, right, with the way I was pushing my body, the the one single thing happened that forced me to deal with all of my previous baggage from the last 30 years of adulthood, right? So you take all of your, your shit from when you were young, you know, I was severely bullied in middle school and high school. So I've hung on to a shit ton of trauma from that my entire life, business stress, things that didn't work out expectations that people have of you and this identity that I have built up and that I have to, I have to now play that role and meet those, everybody's expectations. And, and then any insecurities I had, all were sitting there and now the control mechanisms that I would normally have available to me emotionally and mentally were fucking gone. Like they were just gone. And the part that would exacerbate those thoughts or emotions was lit up 10 out of 10, right? So the limbic brain basically said, yeah, here's all, here's all the stuff you're scared of and that you've been storing and now it's fully out to play and there's no control mechanism anymore. And that, that was really, really interesting because if I had gotten cancer, I wouldn't have gone down the path that I did to solve this problem, which ended up being the single best thing that ever happened to me. And I remember, I will get into that in a minute, but, uh, so it's just really interesting that the, the health challenge that popped up physically forced me to go deal with the shit that I needed to deal with, you know, or that was it. And so well, and that's what that was part of our conversation is yeah. I said, I know you can't believe this right now, but you're going to be on the other side of this and know it's the best thing to ever happen. Yeah. When you're going through it, you can't feel that way. You, you just want to get out of the suffering. Right. And without any connectivity of, oh, wow, I, I'm going to be a better person and have this. This was such a great opportunity to heal all that shit up. Yeah. One thing to highlight here, too, is people have, a, in my opinion, an undue faith in the general medical community right? Like, oh, something's wrong. Just go to your doctor, any doctor. If they're a doctor, then an MD, then they'll know what to do. Yet that's really impossible at this point. With There's, there's, there's over 6,000 approved drugs that are coming out all the time. Research is churning and they're seeing patients all day. Do you think they're pouring through the journals of every single study looking at these things? Like they're human beings. They have kids. They like to like golf and like go on with life like it's not that they're bad people in this big doctor conspiracy and evil doctors and rarely it's just it's overwhelming you know and so this this faith that i oh, just go to your doctor that's not always going to do it didn't didn't do it for you guys you know you had to go deeper find the right the right people who are who had the right understanding holistically of how the system works and i think that's also another piece of advice for people generally like it's not hopeless just because you went to your local MD or your local GP and they're like, yeah, try this pharmaceutical, rattle these pills around and see if it works. You know, like that might be the best they can do, but that's not the best that can happen for you necessarily. There's all kinds of options that are coming available. Yeah. And the, one of the big, I've, you know, that made a little short list of the big lessons learned from this experience. And one of them is don't, don't settle for whatever you're told, if you're not getting a result, if you're not getting better then keep looking, keep moving yeah. on, keep looking, you have to. So 
so that meeting uh, we met and that was just a life changing gig because I finally had someone I could I could talk to about this that understood. And I saw that if she can make it, I can make it. So that was really big. And at the same time, I'm, I have a brain that's out of control. I, I can't sleep. I can't work. Uh, again, stuck in fear. And so I was just like, okay, I have to, I broke my nervous system. I need to go start repairing the nervous system. That was my best guess. So what is every modality that I can think of to repair, repair the brain, repair the body from a stress perspective and called you up and I was like, Hey, could you introduce me to someone that could help me do an MDMA session? Cause you've talked about how that's mm-hmm. been super helpful to you. Uh, a couple of our other good friends have had life changing experiences with it. You very kindly put me in touch with a couple that, uh, that facilitated that first, uh, ceremony for me. And that was the single biggest transformative four hours of my life, like period. Uh, I and remember, that's, I mean, looking out at the, looking out at the future, like, this is something that unfortunately now is difficult and i get a lot of people asking me and these you know occasionally i'll have the availability of somebody who i know who's coming through town who will with discretion operate and provide this because it's not it's not available now but compassionate care is opening from the date of recording right now which is what august 24th ish whatever we're about nine months away from compassionate care being available we're, we're going to be able to offer this legally. Right. And so, you know, for those of you listening, being like, well, how the fuck am I going to find somebody to offer this? Like, hang tight. You know, yeah. it's coming. And, yeah. and I've been in the room and, and even hearing your report sounds very similar. And I'll let you tell your story of it. But yeah. it is absolutely remarkable what the capabilities, both from the phase two clinical trials that MAPS has shown and from the experiential results of what I've seen of what this medicine can do when used in the right context. Yeah. So my, the way I would describe it is it MDMA specifically, cause I've gone through a couple of different medicines we'll talk about here today, but MDMA specifically, the best analogy I have is that it melts the armor you have around your heart and plugs it and then takes down your, your conscious walls around your head and then it plugs the two together so they can finally talk to each other. <laughs> Um, well said. and within 20 minutes, I just remember being on the table and raising my hand and being like, I see the matrix. Like I fucking see <laughs> all of it and what happened when I was three years old and seven years old and why that happened and why this happened and why I ended up here on this table, having gone through this medical crisis and, and how I ended up there. So it was the single biggest epiphany that I ever had where I realized at that moment that whatever I do to get better is best addressed by accessing the subconscious rather than the conscious, right? So uh, that I remember after the session, I was like, if I end up having to go through this for a year or whatever, it was all worth the pain and suffering just to have that three hour, four hour experience from what I learned from that. And I say the biggest takeaway was empathy. Mm-hmm. Like walking out of that with a new level of empathy for people and humanity in general, a very, very clear understanding that we're all connected. We've heard about these stories from a lot of people who've done a lot of the, this kind of medicine work. And there's, I think there's a reason why people have such a similar experience or takeaway from it. And so, yeah, so the big, the big piece of that was empathy for other people, empathy for my empathy for myself, forgiveness for other people, forgiveness for myself was a biggie. And 
So on one hand, it completely changed my life in that regard. On the other hand, it didn't have any impact on the sleep challenge. <laughs> Let's just go because we we talked really soon after your your session, and yeah. I remember some of the things which are kind of universal. We have people in our life and situations that have done things to us. All of us do. Yeah. And we hold resentments towards those people. And sometimes these things are horribly traumatic. Sometimes yeah. they're sexual abuse. Sometimes they're physical abuse. Sometimes they're just, you know, uh, regular old betrayal of a friend or of something like that. And that kind of anger, which we hold in and all of the trauma and shame and all of these different things get kind of like walled up. And as the, as like you said, the heart and the brain melt, you get to see these from a different perspective. And then you get to engage with the, like that moment of that anger that's maybe been held in there like that. How fucking dare you? And then that transitions to, it's all right, man. I know you're just doing the best you could. And you were scared shitless too. And like, I forgive you. Yeah. And then like, oh, you watch the arc, you watch the arc of this thing go from like, how fucking dare you to. I forgive you, man. I actually love you. It's okay. And then you do, and people do the same thing with their son, with themselves. You know, like anything that you've done that you're holding on to, yeah. which is like, how dare I do that? What an idiot. You're like, oh yeah, I probably could have thought of that, but I didn't. And I forgive myself and it's all okay. And then you go through those moments that really ultimately end in that, like you said, empathy, forgiveness, empathy, compassion for those other people in your life and yourself which releases so much of this stored up trauma and pain yeah. and then so there was that component and then there's also these like subtle repressed memories like i remember you were talking about something having to do with like a like a cabin and like you left a stove on or some some weird thing like that yeah my buddy robert's house in aspen and like uh, and like the, the sliding door open in my bedroom you left you yeah. such trivial thing yeah. right but you felt really bad yeah about that yeah and you were like fuck like well because i woke up and this the next morning and they were really concerned and quite you know angry that i just left this screen door they have this beautiful property in basalt you know in colorado and uh and you can hear the river right outside. And I like, I wanted to listen to the water and let the air in at night. And they found out the next morning and they're like, dude, like there's bears and mountain lions all over here. Like one could have easily just come in and torn us all up. And I was just like, Oh fuck. So that, and so, and you yeah. identified that as like, Oh wow. It's scary to sleep because if I don't know what sure. I might've done, yeah, you know, so there's like all these little subtle yeah. things that maybe like, you don't, you weren't thinking about that when you heard that click and you're not sleeping and you're like, what the hell is going on? You're not thinking about the day you left the sliding glass door open yeah, yeah. Yeah. and how that might affect. And that's the power of like actually going in and melting your heart and asking your heart like, Hey heart, what's going on in there? Yeah. Like, well, I'm not, still not over leaving that door open. And you're like, really? You're not over leaving that door open? And his heart's like, yeah. That was, I was like, I felt really bad about that. Yeah. You know, and then you get to like release that stuff too. Like, it's very interesting to watch how this works when you awaken kind of the master consciousness of, of, and of who we are, which is what we loosely call metaphorically our heart. We're not talking about the thing with the ventricles. We're talking yeah. about that Spirit. store of energy. Yeah. Just awareness around it so that was that was an absolutely life-changing experience and at the same time it really didn't have an impact on on the sleep or the the the, the cortisol levels like i had a cortisol test and it was literally off the chart like it wasn't even on the graph and so after that you said you had a ton of success with ketamine 
And so I was like, all right, tell me who to go to, sign up for ketamine. And went and worked with Dr. Womack. And I'm going to put resources for everybody below this video of, of everybody that I worked with and, and that helped around this. And she was great. They do they do ketamine sessions here in Austin. It's perfectly legal to do. You want to definitely do it in a, in a clinical setting, not, not a, you know, a, a nightclub setting. Um, it's IV based. And ketamine does the exact same thing where it is going to take down your conscious say exact same well, thing. Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, not too, yeah, yeah. Uh, so roughly, uh, similarly. That's a, that's a bad choice of words. No, you're right, you're right. It does, it has a, a similar aspect in the fact that it takes down your conscious walls and you access yes, your does. subconscious, but it leaves a heart out of the process. Correct. It's strictly addressing the brain and it's doing it without any, any care or any wisdom it's just taking down your conscious walls and then whatever's in there can come out to play and be processed. And the first two sessions were unbelievably traumatic because my brain was stuck in limbic mode. It's fired up 10 out of 10 fear-based. And then you stick in this chemical that takes you on this psychedelic journey without any real wisdom in it. And I don't know about you. We, we had a similar experience where you're like my first ketamine session. I felt my conscious move to the top right corner of my brain. I was actually my eye mask, which, was yeah, the, more, yeah. which is even more annoying. Well, that's what happened to which me. My, Same thing. The, the entire consciousness of who I was, was condensed to a pinpoint right fucking in here. my yeah. eye mask. And I yeah. did intramuscular, you know, with the doctor just yeah. to kind of experiment with it and see yeah. what it was like. And I was like, well, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> Never going to do that again. So, um, yeah. It actually wasn't the worst in that it wasn't scary. It was just like, I'm ready to not be my eye mask anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to get back in my body. Um, but I could also see how if, my, if I mean, I took it. I was pretty happy when I took it. You know, we were kind of joking around, having a fun time when I took it. And I was really quite enjoying being in my body. If I was really not enjoying being in my body... Well, that might have been hell of a relief because then all I am is a point on my eye mask, right? So yeah. it's not that I don't see the therapeutic benefit of that high-dose ketamine. And I've subsequently experimented with lower-dose ketamine. And I don't know if I should talk about this. I don't want to encourage people to do this. But like a lower-dose ketamine in like a flotation tank, for example, like John Lilly used to do. Yeah. I'm not recommending this. this. is not a recommendation. Please By the way, guys, this. you take too much ketamine, you die. Yeah. Like be careful. Don't do this. But anyways... Yeah hypothetically if i did that then I, it's a different experience it could be quite yeah. like quite a different thing but the intramuscular dose the therapeutic intramuscular dose is extraordinarily dissociative yeah and that can be of benefit when you're trying to leave a situation in which you absolutely need relief yeah but uh, if you don't really need relief it can be in my experience not my favorite thing yeah so my my first two my first two trips our experiences with that were, were very traumatic because I, I, again, my brain's lit up with fear. I saw the scariest stuff I could possibly think of. Like the first session was, consisted of me stabbing myself in the chest over and over again. Uh, Lovely. Yeah, yeah. And the, the main, so what, I, what I've come to realize is that ketamine speaks to you uh, through symbology or sign language, meaning I didn't really experience any words of wisdom directly. It was visuals that I had to interpret the meaning of. And the meaning that I got from that first session is either, hey, you're either you're dying or you're killing yourself. Something you're doing is killing yourself. You need to stop it. So the message from that was very clear. Came out of that 
going through the dying process twice. I had to say goodbye to my family and my relatives and like, I'm stuck in this place. I'm never getting out of here. I screwed my brain up. Ketamine's interacting bad with the medications I'm taking and I'm, I'm going to be here for the next hundred years being wheeled around as a vegetable. Right. So came out of it an hour later, just really pissed that nobody told me that that could happen. (laughs) Expectations were not, were not set. And then frustrated because you're like, I did eight ketamine sessions and the eighth one is when it really had a huge benefit for me. And now I'm like, mother effer, I have to do eight more of these. (laughs) And they're not cheap. It's like 800 bucks a piece, right? So I reluctantly went back three times a week, two times a week. Second session was very similar to the first, very big visualization uh, of me being in the the corner of a room with a giant uh, balloon that just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and pressing against my face and pressing it against the wall. And the, the message that I just kept getting from that was like, this is the pressure that you've put on yourself and the expectations that other people have of you and that you put on yourself that are just, you know, crushing you basically. So the interesting part about the ketamine is, again, it didn't help with the sleep thing, unfortunately, but it definitely helped settle the mind down. A lot of the fear died down a little bit but I still had the same symptoms from a body and nervous system perspective, still had the adrenaline flashes, still had all of that stuff and it progressed. So sessions three, four, and five actually started to get positive. I started to see messages uh, and visions of friends and tribe and family. And by the way, you were a part of the first, the first session. Um, <laughs> you were, uh, when I'm scared and freaking out, uh, you're, you know, I was just like, all right, what would Robert do? And you're just like a little dude on my thing. You're like, just breathe, motherfucker. Just breathe. Just take a deep <laughs> breath. So uh, and that was very helpful, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I take full responsibility <laughs> for that wisdom. Um, and then seven, eight, nine were neutral. Like there wasn't really anything left. It was just kind of boring and like, hey, man, we've processed all we have to process. You're done here. And that was kind of it. And did nine of them didn't really get the result I was hoping for. That was probably six months ago, but I still took some really, really big words of wisdom away from that experience. So, and then, and then look at this now, obviously from vines, look at the good news of that, because you got two of these, if like you would have fixed your sleep, you might not have done shit else. You know what well, I mean? That's, like, well, that's what I mean. Like if you would have yeah. nailed it right out of the gate, you wouldn't have done these things right. and gotten these other tangential healings that right. are going to benefit you for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's, it's, so that's why I said this is the best thing that ended up ever happening to me because mm-hmm. now I have 40 plus years with a brand new life, new body, yeah. new brain, new heart, new everything. And, and so, on that point, point too, to your yeah. point is that when you're in this place, you're desperate. I mean, if somebody was said, go hang up sound down in Africa from a Jacoby tree, that will do it. I would have done it. I mean, it's, a point of desperation you'll do anything you're literally looking for the magic the magic pill mm. and i think that's a big part of this is it is a journey and each step is a part of some part of the healing process body mind and spirit and it just takes the time that it takes and it takes a lot longer than one wants this to last and it's this subtle growth and the experiential healing journey and spiritual journey that takes place along this even though you just want to be fixed it's just like fix me i want to be back to that old person i was without realizing like, no, it's a complete dissociation from that person to Mm. become this next version. And it's a slow breakdown before there's this ability to start healing and building into the new you in a way. Yeah, and that was a big, patience was probably the first big lesson I had to learn with this. As an A-type driver, you're like, 
I've got my spreadsheet. I'm documenting everything I'm eating, every supplement I'm taking, what my symptoms are, what my sleep quality score is. I've got my aura ring on. I've got my Muse headset. I'm doing meditation 45 minutes a night. And I just went into, I'm going to turn into, or treat this as if I'm training for the Olympics. And my job is to heal and get better. And I just literally made that my full-time job. That went on to EMDR sessions. You know, we'll, we'll keep this short on time, but EMDR was very effective. Hypnotherapy was super effective for me. I got a ton out of, out of hypnotherapy sessions. Again, accessing the subconscious you come, came out of my first hypnotherapy session, like cried like a baby for an hour. Cause mm-hmm. it just went back and had to go address shit from again, middle school, elementary school, uh, that I finally got to address and, and fix. And was yeah. the hypnotherapy, was that relaxing at all? Did yeah, that give I, you some kind of relief? Because it is probably altering, I don't know much about hypnotherapy, but I'm imagining it's altering your brainwave state you're going, to more yeah. of a theta. You're going into a deep meditative state as if you're meditating and he's walking you through or she's walking you through your subconscious and you're bringing up experiences that you'll instantly have an emotion around. So that's like the only thing that actually got you to that state. Other than MDMA. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. not, I mean, that's still, that's probably fucking closer to gamma, like high beta. I don't mm-hmm. even know what, I, I don't know. I'm not hooked up to an EEG when I'm doing that, right. but I'm imagining it's not theta particularly. I don't, it I doesn't don't have, wave, yeah. I don't know what brainwave it is, but e- either way, like that meditative brainwave state that's very restorative where the parasympathetic clicks on. Yeah. And I've seen great results with hypnotherapy for people that are having nightmares so they're sleeping, but they're, you know, it's very disrupted for quitting smoking. And then I personally had an amazing uh, result with it for the self-hypnosis to be able to do natural childbirth. Mm. And then after having really mastered that, I could do dental work and other kinds of things without having to have pain medicine. Wow. <laughs> <It was> awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I... I was super skeptical about it. Okay, let's just take like a. We got a couple. We got a couple spare minutes. You know, we're getting to the. We're getting to the climax of the healing journey. But can you just like explain to us what this self hypnosis method is? So uh, it's a process that they took us through during pregnancy, and you just start out with really getting yourself. You know, figuring out what it takes you to totally get into a relaxed state. So whether it's. Um, you know, having specific things that you say to yourself or recording it and then listening to it a couple of times a day. But so to me, it was putting lots of positive messages into my subconscious so that when I got to labor, this is my second child, I already done childbirth naturally without it. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. So it was, yeah, the process of really delving into my subconscious and putting the positive things in and learning to go to a completely relaxed state without any medications or alcohol or and I you know that's been 18 years now and I can so still that get sound, to that but that state. sounds like meditation but it's different than meditation because I think about meditation being more the mind this is this is also with the body like uh-huh. the it may be a little bit along the lines of Annie Hopper's work, um, the DNR systems, uh, the brain retraining to get out of the limbic state. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's more you're, more you're visualizing it and feeling it. It's like what it feels like to be held or to be sitting in the ocean and letting the waves gently go over your your skin and hearing the, the, uh, the wind in the trees and like really – tactile yeah. sensations along with the meditation is that state. what a, is that what your guide 
How what was your guide? To, I'm very curious into this. So he has an app. His name's Elliot Rowe. Uh, you can use his app, Prime to Mind. He he would do our sessions over the phone, and he counts you down into a very deep meditative state. You're still aware, but it's as if you're on a, a verge of being conscious slash unconscious. Very very deep meditative relaxed state, and he would just start asking questions, and it would be difficult to talk. Like I'd have to make an effort to speak because I'm that. Uh, you know, down under and his talent and the real piece to making this really effective is over several sessions, he's going to start putting the pieces together of how events in your life have been connected to each other and created habits and neural pathways and memories where we can instantly, we you talked about this with Dr. Joe on your podcast recently on how thinking back to a memory that will instantly light your body up, dump stress hormones and chemicals into your body. And all of a sudden your body's re-experiencing that memory as if it happened right now in the moment. And he'll start piecing these events together. And over the course of three, four, five, six, seven sessions, he'll start digging down into each one, rooting it out and reframing it. And that's essentially what you're going to do is once he's identified it, okay, Mike, now I want you to think about it in this scenario and think about it differently in that. And you're just rewiring that neural pathway and that mm -hmm. memory. And then you come out of it. I had a really big emotional response to it. And then after that, it's kind of processed. Like yeah. it's just re rewired. Cool. So, so do you think the emotion around that was just the re the release of allowing yourself to reframe it? Like what was the, yeah. the emotion? Yeah, it, it was, it was uh, getting to look at it in a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So same with, with the MDMA experiences, you get to see things from a new light and, and then you can just, it just comes out. But yeah, so that was, that was super effective. The frustrating part is this is probably nine months in and I'm still not sleeping any differently. The big game changer during this process was finding THC pills. So a friend of mine had cancer, was going through chemo, had some 10 milligram THC pills. Sativa, indigo? Uh, I don't know. It was, it was 10 and 10, one-to-one -one CBD and THC. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what specific strain. But he's like, hey, just try it. And I tried it and I got three hours of sleep that night. And I was like, oh, that's the most, that was double what I would normally get. I was like, holy and smokes. And how far in are you at this time? How Probably long? six months in. Oh and that's what allowed me to get off the pharmaceuticals. So once I found that, okay, now I'm getting three, three and a half hours of sleep at night. I'm off the crazy ass medications. Did you, did you try like, well, if one pill gets me three hours... What does three pills get me? Uh, did you ever try that? I did. I did. I tried 30 milligrams because he's like, dude, if you need to sleep, I did 30 and it'll knock you out like an elephant tranquilizer. And it did for a few hours, but then I would just wake up and be groggy. And my body was so determined to stay awake that I, back when on the drugs, I would get on 20 milligrams of Ambien, a double dose, double Xanax. And that was, again, an hour, 90 minutes. My body's fighting through that plus the Z-Equal, plus the melatonin, plus four, the, all of Four milligrams stuff. of Xanax. 20. Way, uh, the, yeah, yeah. Two bars. Yeah. The yeah. way that you say this, it reminds me of like the warrior, like the person that can be vigilant, like keep awake so that they're protecting the tribe or moving the tribe. It's like, it's it's a place that we have to be. It's like, just like some things that happen with women. Like we can push ourselves to wake up and feed the baby. 
it, so there's, I think, that role in in human survival <laughs> to have that ability to do it. It's like it's just when it gets so stuck. Well, that's the. It's like my sympathetic got stuck in the on position, and my parasympathetic was like, "All right, I guess I'm out," and just was gone. So uh, yeah, I mean, even the elite performers, you know, talking to the top Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, they'll do it. They'll they'll go three, four, five day pushes, you know, where they're awake, snipers vigilant in position for days, can't sleep, shitting in their pants, like. But they get back to base they're out for a couple of days, you know, and if they can't do that, they're not going to be able to return to the field. So I think we do have that ability to push. Like you're saying, we also just need, it's a necessity to have the ability to counterbalance and like get back to the other way, which is just keep falling asleep over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so we got introduced through our, our mutual friend, JP. So what's really interesting is going through all of this, all of the big breakthroughs that I had came from relationships that I had. So if I have like a short list of lessons learned going through this experience for folks before we actually get to what happened, because we finally figured out what happened and it was totally out of the blue. And here's my, here's my little open loop piece. Uh, what happened is something that is around every single person watching or listening to this right now. It's in your room. You're breathing it in right now. And so this is not a a really random event. This is potentially something that could affect everybody, but we'll get into that in a minute. So first and foremost, talk about whatever you're going through. I've had one friend who recently died at 40 from cancer, wouldn't tell anybody, didn't tell me about it until he was on his deathbed. I have another friend who's going through cancer right now. He's not telling anybody about it, been going through it for two years. And I don't get it. I don't understand this need to to keep things like that private, that's when you need to reach out and be super selfish. Like this last year, I was super fucking selfish asking for help. Um, Never felt that way, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think that's something for everybody listening to, right? It might feel that way. It's yeah. Not. Yeah. You know, if you're someone's friend and you can be of service, like, yeah, that actually feels good mm-hmm. reciprocally. Yeah. And I, I don't know why some people, for some reason have trouble asking for help and so that's first and foremost is ask for help the second biggest piece of this and i want to i'm going to plug my buddy hal's book here um he just released this a month or two ago i didn't have access to it but it was the same lesson his miracle equation book so he died once and was resuscitated when he was young uh went through chemo almost died from a very vicious form of cancer a year ago And our our kids go to school together, so they're very good friends of mine. And essentially Hal's methodology for how he's gone through all of these challenges is right here on the cover. Unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort is the miracle that you need. And so for me, mindset was 90% of this, even when my brain was out of of whack and the, the deepest pits of despair of this muse headset meditating every night before bed for 40 minutes, slowing things down. And for that 40 minutes, the whole entire time, I'm just talking to myself as if I'm already better. I'm so glad that I'm sleeping normally again. I'm so glad that I'm racing cars again. I'm so glad that I've learned what I've learned from this and have changed from it. And I'm healthy and healed again every night for 40 minutes for months. And with a level of 100% certainty, 
So that to me was a really important piece of this puzzle is I reached a moment during my second ketamine session where during ketamine, I had to ask myself, or at least the ketamine or my brain was, was like, hey, do you want to live or do you want to die? Because we're going to decide that right now today. And I had to make a conscious decision to choose to live in that moment. And from that moment, I just approached everything around this process with 100% certainty of I'm going to get better. This talk was something I visualized for nine months, like as a part of what I want to do once I'm back to back to health. So this is something I've thought about hundreds of times. You did it. Yeah. 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 What's well, we, I walked in last month and I was like, I, I made it, <laughs> you know? So, so the certainty is a big piece. Reaching out for help is a big piece. Don't settle for whatever your, your, your doctor or whatever has given you or, or talked to you about. If it's not working for you, keep looking. Don't stop. A, a big part of the looking process is disregard the negative. If you jump into the online world of looking for symptoms around an illness, look out because you're going to find some really scary stuff and a lot of people who did not make it or are not making it. And you just have to instantly shut that down. If I see, if I read any story of anyone who was not healed, ignore it, boom, next. And it's 100% focus on information from people who did make it. The other piece is patience. That We talked about this a lot. Again, A-type driven, tell me what to do. I'll go do it. I need to get better. I have shit I need to do that I want to do. People I need to take care of, bills I have to pay. And your body's on a different schedule. And I had to really surrender to the fact that, okay, I'm not going to be better for next year's race season yet. I need to sell the race car. I need to give up a lot of the stuff that I love, at least temporarily, and just let my body do what it needs to do. Uh, So that was another really, really big part of this. And then, you know, finally, I think that brings us to when we met a couple of months ago, ran a whole new set of tests. And came back with some very surprising results because up until this point, and I, and I do want to mention this too, I'm going to do a completely different podcast on this one topic next week with my, uh, with my friend Blair Dunkley. Despite all of the therapies and, and methodologies that I went through, my body was still in fight or flight, still dumping cortisol, still buzzing, still not sleeping. And then Blair is a, a mind models coach. Uh, and a psychologist for the past 30 years. And he taught me a mental technique that we'll talk about and go through in this podcast that I use to visualize fear, take it out of my body. It's an NLP technique, send it away from you. I did that probably 10 or 15 times over the course of 24 hours. 14th, 15th time, body stopped. It just stopped. It all stopped. The, The adrenaline stopped. The cortisol stopped. The buzzing stopped, and for the first time in almost a year, my body just completely relaxed for the very first time. And it wasn't a drug, it wasn't a medicine, it was a freaking mind game. It was unbelievable. So, uh, so again, we'll do a whole episode on that next. Go see you. Donate half my my blood <laughs> <laughs> and every other form of bodily fluid you can think of. And we get the results back a month or two later. And please feel free to share anything and everything that, that you can. So, Well, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, too, what, you know, what really landed <clears throat> from you. So as a detective doctor, really, where I'm using the latest technology that's available in testing to get to the root cause, why did this click happen? What, 
what was going on. So we, we know the stress, we know the cortisol part. Then looking at your genetics, you know, you don't clear those stress hormones that well. So that makes you the one that can stay up the three nights and watch the tribe, right? And then we found that you have some autoimmune markers that uh, actually attack the brain. And this is not that well studied. You know, autoimmune uh, is more studied in the rest of the body. So things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and scleroderma and Sjogren's, like there's lots of autoimmune diseases, but the autoimmune diseases that affect the brain are not well known. We're just now really able to detect that with the technology for the testing. There's a lot going on with kids. So I think about your stories really are so similar, but there are a lot of stories that are happening with similar threads where people, they're fine and then their brain is just off. And in kids, they're calling it pandas or pans. So they're, um, they're this is triggered by strep throat in pandas and then PANS means that the trigger is less well-known. So it can be environmental toxins, other infections, or the two other main things. So, you know, hearing what happened to you, we started looking for all of that. So we know the, the stress side of things, but then we started finding some uh, what I call dysbiosis. The, the gut and the brain are so interconnected when the gut is off it's the brain's going to go off. So we we could see that the we had the autoimmunity in the brain and the neurotransmitters, the chemical messengers were out of balance. They were, you know, very obvious that you didn't have the neurotransmitters that helped to give you this the sense of relaxation and pleasure and calm and the ones that are more likely to cause irritability and 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 be off. We found the gut infections, your microbiome was very disrupted. And then we found evidence of environmental toxins like mold in your body. Well, that so, was the biggie. And that was yeah. probably, so what I see is a lot of times it's like the the ground in the body is is eroding and the thresholds for things like the stress are, are causing these things to have more of a significant impact all the time. And then there's a tipping point there's some exposure, some infection that then causes the body to have the significant break. And I think that's really, you know, going back with both of you, we can find those those triggers. So what yeah. I want to say to the audience is, even if you're not over here having some type of a major illness, do the work now to really have all the right nutrients in your body, do the things like the meditation and the relaxation, get rid of the stuff that you're carrying with you from your past and and keep yourself safe by having a really strong body and a brain. There are so many good um, nutrients that we can be giving our brain some reserve so that if we do have the higher degrees of stress or get exposed to environmental toxins that are hidden, like uh, like the, the mold was in, in the building that you lived in. So that's, that's what we believe happened. Uh, we got back my test results. He did a mycotoxin panel. And I don't know if you know, remember the name yeah. of this specific strain, but one specific strain of mold came back where the, the test, the test score was from zero to 50. That's as high as the scale went and zero to five is kind of the acceptable the area. Mycophenolic, yeah. And my result was 21,000. <laughs> so yours was heavy metals you believe, right? Because mm-hmm. your heavy metals were off the charts. Yeah, that's what made through through me. That was my tipping point is yeah. my amalgams taken out, and then that was game So over. what? what was dental. Mm-hmm. 
what we think happened is you were Tony Robbins eating swordfish for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Pretty much. Because <laughs> you were trying to be healthy. You were doing healthy. what everybody was telling you. It was a good thing. So from what, I, if I could summarize what we think mm-hmm. our best guess is what happened is leaky, leaky gut, leaky brain barrier, mold got through that. It caused an autoimmune response in the brain. The immune system started eating away brain myelin and having those those autoimmune, you know, inflammatory components uh, jump in, and and that was it. And then so we started a big detox regimen. Got on an autoimmune diet, so no dairy, gluten, alcohol. Oh, and that was a really big part of this too. Aubrey is going through this whole experience. All of the stuff that I would have normally used to suppress previous stress and trauma and anxiety, alcohol, caffeine, whatever it may be, queso, uh, I couldn't have anymore. So the vices that I would rely on to mm. keep everything in contained, uh, so guess what, Mike, you can't have those anymore. So now you got to deal with this shit. And that was another big blessing as a part of this where if that hadn't have been the case, I wouldn't have. I would have ch- just kept having tequila at dinner, a glass of wine at dinner and using adrenaline to forget about my, my problems and stresses and everything like that. So this particular circumstance took away all of the tools that I would have used to stay stuck in that spot. And so now you use the Muse to, instead of yeah, the tequila. Yeah. Well, Muse headset, if anyone needs help meditating, this was, this was the tool that really allowed me to do that successfully. And uh, yeah, but you had to you had to move buildings. I'm sure too, right? Because like you got to remove the environmental stressor Absolutely. at some point. Um, we we think it was from the building that I was living in downtown because that building had flooded about a year and a half ago you know, down from the roof down the elevator the shafts. Timing fits perfectly. Yeah, so that's as you said, investigative, you know, medical analysis, right? And then the autoimmune is your way to help yourself heal. I think there was, I read a quote from Travis Christopherson's new book he's coming out with called Curable, which is one of the most phenomenal books I've ever read in my life, like blew my mind. Um, But anyways, one of the quotes was that uh, one of the jobs of a good physician is to distract you long enough so that your body can heal itself. Mm. (laughs) You know, right? (laughs) And and this is obviously not distracting you, but it's, it's removing all the things that are preventing your body from doing the job that the body knows what to do like we know how to heal ourselves we've evolved quit drinking <laughs> you know like quit stop, drinking if we just stop fucking <laughs> interrupting the system like yeah. we'll figure it out yeah. typically and, we, and you know? we don't even have to figure out everything i mean i love to have the data and and know as many especially with somebody like you that's so desperate to get better right um the more data i have the, the more we can make progress quickly but when the body starts getting what it needs and it's not being overwhelmed by the inflammatory foods and the toxins. Oh my gosh, it, it can figure it out. There's so many uh, overlap in the pathways to do the healing. We, you can, like, that's really one of the big messages. You, you can really trust your body to know how to heal even when it's gotten pretty broken down. What is the, what is just so, just from my own standpoint, what is the, uh, what is the part of the dairy that, is the challenging part for the body (laughs) well okay so this is kind of um my theory based on putting multiple puzzle pieces together but most of us have gluten sensitivity or celiac genes and our food supply is so full of glyphosate and other types of mycotoxins that are different than the mold toxins we were talking about with you that it 
triggers that uh, part of the immune system to react uh, to gluten. It's a foreign invader mm-hmm. at this point. It, yeah. The body thinks it's got to attack it. And then when you look at the chemical structure for gluten and dairy, they're so similar that most of us will have a response to dairy that is, pro- well, sometimes more serious than the gluten, but less. So it's like a little fire that's brewing in the gut, getting the immune system all revved up. And it's it's. I have this conversation multiple times every day because dairy is such a hard thing to give up in our society. But when people will do it, it really drops the inflammation in the body. And I love to do things like, okay, it's even going to help your detailed cholesterol profile. You know, not just the four things that most doctors check, but when we look at the very detailed uh, types of inflammation, like a LP, PLA2, and an MPO, we can see those markers get better. And that can, like if you have heart disease in your family and you're wanting to uh, reduce that risk or have cancer that runs in your family or just want to be the most preventive that you can, most, my opinion, based on what I've seen in my office, is that most of us do better if we avoid dairy from an inflammation standpoint. From my, from my research, all, not all dairy is created equal either, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. I know I'm very sensitive to my own body. If I have raw grass-fed cheese, I feel really good. If I have queso and chips, <laughs> That's I feel like torches asshole. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm terrible, right? Like it's a much yeah. different is a much different thing. If I have regular homogenized, you know, low fat milk of some sort, yeah. right? Like and then just our ice cream in that way, I'm gonna feel terrible. If I have some heavy cream that's again organic, grass fed, heavy cream, raw cream, if I'm at Erwan, I get some of that raw cream. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I feel pretty good on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, actually. So I, I think there's some different ways to approach that. But the gluten always is carried by a carbohydrate as well, which through the metabolic pathways is probably not going to be supporting your metabolic system either. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that would just be my little input from my own yeah. research on that. Um, yeah, that, I think there's a lot more research that's going to come out on this, especially like I think different, um, there's some data showing some different mitochondrial genotypes to, can do better with different foods as well, depending on where that permutation happened. Uh, so in areas where there was more dairy, you might be able to get away with the raw grass Or butter, right? Like fed. something like that, where it's mm-hmm. mostly that you're talking about the fats from the dairy rather than the you know, lactose that you're getting mm-hmm. from the dairy and the other yeah. different things. Yeah, but definitely anytime there's any type of autoimmunity, so especially for for people like you that have the autoimmune markers brewing. And I really think that should be part of our annual screening. We should be doing an extensive autoimmune profile on everybody, just like we do a cholesterol panel and blood counts and thyroid and those kinds of things. We need to be screening for autoimmunity. We don't want to be waiting until the symptoms occur. So I would say if there's any signs of autoimmunity, meticulous on the dairy, um, you know, avoiding dairy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was... uh that was the that was the big thing that that changed everything. We started treating the the mold and doing a detox and uh, changed the diet. And then the last two months, I, you know, I've felt so much. I've got my brain back. Uh, it's interesting to listen again. to you talk. Yeah, like I wish I had a recording yeah. of the. Well, first... I can hear it on my podcast from the last year. Oh yeah, I go back and listen to the intros of my podcast. I'm like, holy smokes! It, last week horrible. when I saw you, I was like. Oh my god, he talks so fast! I have to really listen. <laughs> it was um, incredible. Yeah, no, it's it's good to be able to. It's good to be. It's good to be back from a, a mental standpoint, and so 
the, I guess the last piece of the puzzle that, because we've got a couple minutes left that I wanted to encourage everybody who's seen this, the vast majority of my audience, again, high performing A-type personality people who will just push themselves and push themselves and push themselves is listen, like pay attention to your body. If it's telling you something, it's telling you that for a reason. If you don't listen, it's going to show up with two by four and make you listen. You Can I just insert one thing? Yeah. I don't think it's part of aging. Like if you rationalize it in your head that, oh, you just have a little less energy, you put on a little bit of weight, anything that our society calls the normal aging process to that's not right. Yeah. No, Pay that attention. don't, that's a, that's a good scapegoat that could prevent you from going and addressing these issues when you should, when you should. Uh, and then the final piece of this, for those of you who are super healthy right now and you're into the personal development side of things, go like the benefits I've gotten from doing all of the personal work are so awesome. Like I just can't wait to see what's going to happen in the coming years. Cause I have, the way that I'm familiar with it now is you're just carrying a big sack of rocks, right? And every time something happens in your life that was traumatic or divorce or a family death or whatever it may be, you're just adding in, in rocks, right? That you've now got to carry on your journey every day and they're just going to keep adding up and you can go use any of these methodologies that we've talked about today to go get rid of those freaking rocks and you have so much more mental capacity and energy when your mind is not stewing in the past, worried about the future to go get stuff done that it's just, it's the biggest hack, if you will, from a performance perspective, even if you are physically healthy right now, from a a mental perspective, uh, it just frees up so much more energy and emotion and uh, different parts of you that you've probably kept restrained or hidden or you know whatever it may be that it's worth uh it's worth all of that so i'm so curious how this has impacted your relationship with your son yeah the hardest part about this past couple of years is i really haven't been able to be there for him uh i was essentially a babysitter because that's all i could do was lay on the couch all day and watch movies with him and you know that was super super difficult and now, you know, we get to go wakeboarding again and, and start to do fun stuff. But uh, you're kind of a shredder, by the way. We yeah. Went, oh, we went wake that. surfing. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. That was fun. It's not like it's not like you're like trying to like you can fucking rip. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So you're super. doing that again. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty good. Do you think, yeah. though, that all this inner work that you've done has changed your like, has it been worth it? So you're showing up for him differently. You're not. Uh, I mean, I just feel feel better equipped as a parent because I'm going to be able to walk him and guide him in a much more equipped manner than, you know, having not gone through this experience. Um, yeah, so that's been that's been awesome. But now, I mean, it's this is like I get I get a, a fraction of a taste of how you get to work with people and look at people because you can probably see what's what they're dealing with, but they're not even aware of it, but you've done so much work yourself with other people too, that you're like, you can see stuff that people are dealing with. Right. Um, so for me now, I've spent the last few months getting to introduce friends to these different therapies and modalities, and they've now started down this path and they're getting life-changing benefits from it. And it's just starting to ripple in this town that very much began with you guys and, mm-hmm. and your circle here. That's now hitting Absolutely. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. 
And on that, so. and on that note, it's you know sometimes it shows up physical. The emotional shows up as physical, and the physical is yeah. real. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in the data. But how much sometimes or always? Yeah, that it's, it's, you know, like it really is this emotional, emotional journey. Really, and like that, this is the historical record of all of our emotional crap mm -hmm. that we've dealt with. It gets stored somatically in very interesting ways. Yeah, but it does. And and adding on, yeah, and adding on to that. Like what you were both saying is that you didn't feel like he was pulling a favor card. You wanted to help Mike because no you know you love him. And in this journey, it's the reaching out is so important because love heals. It is such a big part. Like the forgiveness part of the MDMA for experience for me is I got to forgive myself and forgive others. And that was just like such, it just was, I felt a million pounds lighter. So much thank you for introductions through you, Mike, on that. Yeah. And But it's just getting to this place of, love hills to connect to have these conversations to ask for help for those of us that have such a difficult time asking for help and i mean you were a gift for me when i was going through my stuff and gift to him and it's like when you've been through these things you want to help those that are in that space you've been in and no you know it's just please ask for help and let others do their service because mm -hmm. i want to be an active service because i wouldn't be here if it weren't for those that just gifted me with so much love and support and you know just to be part of your journey was such an honor yeah, well, no, thanks for being there. I don't think I would have made it without you. So yeah, it was huge. Well, guys, we've got a we've got a hard cutoff. So thank you all so much for joining us. Appreciate appreciate uh, y'all's contribution today. Not only today, but obviously to me because I don't really don't think I'd be here without you guys. So and yeah. shout out to Ann Shippy. She saved my life too. So <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> she's amazing. And appreciate both y'all's vulnerability and sharing your stories. I think that's mm. the that's the key thing. You know, you keep this stuff hidden, you preclude the ability to heal somebody else from it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. don't be ashamed if you're going through some hardship yeah. because somebody else is going through that. And that's the process of alchemy yeah. that can really mm -hmm. actually make it all really worthwhile. You know, when I'm going through the hardest stuff in my life, knowing that I'm going to be able to write about that in my next week's newsletter and have hundreds of people reach out and be like, man, thanks for talking about that. I was going through the same thing. Yeah. And how many people serendipitously when I post them be like, oh man this came just at the right time like thank you so much like it, it's always a way yeah like you think that people are going to judge you we have that bully mentality because we've all been there and had people judge us for that it's not the way the world actually is for the most part yeah you maybe have a couple people throw a pebble here or there but you just don't but care at that you don't anymore. care but overwhelmingly yeah. it's just going to be love yeah well said guys thank you all very much and uh appreciate you we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs>